Hi, this is Lynn Garson. I am head of the wellness committee at Baker Hostetler and also chair of the Georgia Lawyer Assistance Program, a member of the mental health subcommittee of the wellness committee of the Georgia Bar and on the Suicide Awareness and Prevention Committee of the Georgia Bar. And the reason I am doing this podcast is that I thought it was time that somebody spoke to the idea that while the coronavirus crisis is an awful, awful thing for everybody, people are losing people that they love, people are afraid, um, people are afraid that they're going to get it, that they've been exposed, uh, that they're losing their jobs. There's a lot of fear going around, and that's affecting everyone. I wanted to make uh, the point, though, that some of us are particularly at risk, not from an age standpoint and an underlying immune condition standpoint. That we know, but I've not heard a lot of conversation about people being at risk because they have a history of mental health struggles such as depression, anxiety, uh, and others that I've identified. And the reason that I'm talking about this and that I have any credibility on this score is that I have suffered from anxiety and depression for much of my life, depression more than anxiety, but when the anxiety came on, it came on strong, and it is still a part of my life now. Um, also a food addict since I was very, very young, and as a result, spent a great deal of time in uh, therapy, which is, has been a wonderful thing. Also three inpatient, voluntary inpatient uh, visits at psych hospitals in 2000, 2008, and 2010. And in 2010, in fact, the director of the hospital told me and my family that I would never work again and I should apply for social security disability which I actually did, a very difficult thing to do, but I then was also applying for jobs, got a job, and the rest is history. So that's why I'm credible um, in talking about this. Um, another reason, so I've identified that some reasons folks are particularly at risk are histories of depression, anxiety, bipolar, bipolar depression, um, issues like that. But I've recently also identified that people who struggle with setting boundaries are particularly at risk as well. Because what that means, uh, you know, and I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I'm pretty versed in some of this. What it means is that it's hard to keep information out and hard to keep from taking it personally. Um, so for some people, when you hear that Boris Johnson had gone into the hospital and now he's on oxygen. You know, there's fear, but there's also an extra element that's, that's sort of taking that in in a way that really doesn't belong to us. It's awful and it's terrible, but it's not happening to me, for example, and yet it is difficult for me to keep that out. Um, so I've taken a look, um, as we all have, we've all been bombarded with what to do I've taken a look with this lens on um, what to do if you are particularly at risk uh, from a, an emotional health standpoint and identified a few things, some of which I found on the American um, Suicide Prevention website, others, you know, just various places. 
but the first five come from that website and I thought they were very good. And I'm not in any way suggesting that you have to be suicidal to be thinking about these things. It's just the website where I found this information and I thought it was good. Um, so the, and some of it applies very well to lawyers, interestingly. So the first thing is separate what is in your control from what is not. And boy, does that strike home for lawyers because we are set up to control what we can control and to feel uh, a loss of control particularly keenly. And that's what's going on right now. But what you can do is separate in your mind what is in your control and what is not and be very clear about that and to try to keep some distance from what is not within one's control. I thought that was a good point, especially for lawyers. Um, the next one is do what helps you feel a sense of safety. And that's got nothing to do with what helps the next person feel a sense of safety. It's all about you. It doesn't matter whether it, it's funny or strange or bizarre. Um, I will tell you that what helps me feel safe is I curl up with my dog. And when I say curl up, I mean, I'm like lying on the sofa watching TV at night and she, she's not a small dog, is literally like, you know, I've just got her in my arms and, and she's right there. Um, I happen to be um, staying at home with a good amount of family. I'm very fortunate in that. And that includes two grandchildren. Um, one is almost three, one is six months old. Um, and I thought about including them in that, but actually, you know, I'm the one responsible, uh, the parents, you know, my, my son and his wife, first of all, but I feel responsible for their safety, so those that's not what makes me feel safe. So I'm particularly identifying what makes me feel safe. The third thing is to get outside in nature, and I think that's been said a fair amount. I am, again, very lucky. I have a second home in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and the weather's been good, and it's very easy to get outside very distant from other people. Um, you know, six feet is nothing. You can get outside and, and have a great deal of distance from other people and out in nature, and that's very, very helpful to me. I think it's helpful for everybody. Um, the next is to challenge yourself to stay in the present. So again, as lawyers, we are trained, I'm probably hardwired, to think about the past and the future, much more than the present, because the past informs what we're gonna do uh, you know, to help our clients, and the future is what uh, we're thinking about, making sure that XYZ doesn't go wrong. Uh, in this particular instance with what's going on right now in the public health crisis, to stay in the present it's something that mindfulness uh, folks will teach and try to teach people, you know, in everyday law practice that that's a very good way to relieve stress. Right now, particularly, that's important. I've got a friend named Nancy who's also a lawyer that has drilled into my head, and I, I do it fairly religiously. I don't always remember, but the way she does it is she says to herself, where am I right now? Okay, look around. Maybe I'm driving my car, you know. What's happening right now? Is the sky falling in? Is the terrible thing that I'm worried about, is it happening to me right now? And, you know, being a, a cognitive sort of person, I can look around and say, well, no, as a matter of fact, nothing's happening to me right now. I'm driving my car. 
So it helps. It helps me to calm down. It helps to stay centered and stay in the present. Um, the fifth, and this is the last one from that website, is to stay connected, which, <clears throat> excuse me, we've all heard um, a lot about, and to ask for more support if we need it. So that's the big ticket item to me right there. Um, and ask means ask. First of all, not to be ashamed or embarrassed to ask, which we often are. And secondly, ask means to say it in words that people can hear that ask the question directly, not in subtleties. And I can give you examples ad nauseum of how I do it, expecting other people to ask how I am and open the door when I haven't done any such thing. So, for example, yesterday to my daughter, how are you doing? I'm supposed to get her to say how she's doing, and then, of course, she's supposed to say, well, Mom, how are you? And then I can go into my litany of how I'm sort of struggling and this and that. Well, I didn't ask her that. I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing great, and went about her business. Um, no fault of hers. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. It's my error not to ask directly for what I need. And I'll give another example, and it's been, this sort of cuts both ways. One thing is I need to ask. The other is that we need to train ourselves to listen, particularly in a time like this, for the subtle, for the subtext. If somebody's asking for help, but is embarrassed to really come out and ask. For example, I have said, in any number of forums, um, to any number of people, and this was early on, this was three and a half weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, that at that time I was living alone in my house in Atlanta, and I knew that if I had to be in my home alone for two weeks, I would come out a different person. Um, I, I would have struggled pretty hard. If it had been four weeks, I would have needed to go back in the hospital. No question in my mind. Uh, just that's, that's how it would have affected me. I really would have deteriorated in a way that has not been an issue for me in low these past 10 years. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm particularly keen to connect with people who also struggle in that kind of way. But at any rate, my point here is that I said that to any number of people, and I think in my mind I was hoping that they would understand that the fact that I was now in Hilton Head with family didn't mean that everything was okay. You don't go from being somebody who would have been in the hospital to everything's hunky-dory because of this one shift, or at least not me. Um, no one, not a single person, has read that subtext. And that says two things to me. Number one is I was ridiculous to think that saying that was going to make anybody ask me anything back. And secondly, we need to train ourselves, though, to pick up on the subtext because we know, every single person knows, that there's a lot of stigma around mental health struggles and addiction struggles, and it's very difficult sometimes to push through that and to be clear about what you need. <clears throat> what you need. Um, the next item, so I'm, I'm done with that website list, but this is something anecdotal. I have no idea, I'm not a doctor, not real sure why this works, but I will tell you that there have been a couple of days where my head was literally exploding. Um, you know, I'm interestingly, I'm 66 years old, but I can understand a little bit what some parents at home with their young children are going through. 
because like I've said, I've got young children here and when you're trying to work and one's either crying or the other needs something, it, it can stress you out a lot. Um, so like I said, I, my head was about to explode a couple of times. We are fortunate here that we've got a swimming pool. The weather is not warm. The pool is not warm. I do not like cold water, but I was at my wit's end. I do like to swim. And I said, okay, whatever. I'm just, I'm going to do it. I dove in. It was awful, horrible, and terrible. I must have swum for no more than five or six minutes. When I got out, I was a new person. And like I said, I'm not a doctor. I think it's got something to do with when you're anxious, the capillaries are, are you know, wide. And when you swim, they're constricted. And, and, and something about that shock uh, was very helpful to me. So I've suggested to a number of people, just put your head under ice, under cold water, you know, turn your shower on, just see if it helps. It's certainly low tech and it, it doesn't hurt. Um, the other things that we've all heard, um, I'm lucky again here that the weather's been okay. I can ride a bike, so I've been able to exercise some. That's been helpful. Yoga, meditation, breathing, mindfulness exercises, the Calm app, all extremely useful, extremely important. I will say again that my particular orientation is to people who are very much at risk, and there are times for me um, being at risk that those things, that they're not accessible to me in that moment. Um, I have to say the cold water was the thing that worked for me. Uh, other things, you know, maybe getting out, taking a walk. Music is very helpful to me. Uh, but yoga, exercise, and meditation, breathing, mindfulness, all very, very good tools, um, depending on if they're accessible to, to somebody in the particular moment. Um, as part of this, I want to give, there's a crisis text line that I think is a useful thing because not everybody wants to call on the phone. This is manned all the time. It is 741-741, and then you text, and I've seen it two ways, so it's one or the other, talk, T-A-L-K, or home, H-O-M-E. Um, Another thing that I've got that has been helpful to me, um, something that they do in 12-step programs all the time, uh, or talk about all the time, is giving to others. You know, doing work for others actually helps you. So for those who are in the Atlanta office, um, I don't talk about this, but you'll know who this is. My cousin is Clark Howard. He's a well-known consumer advocate in, uh, really in Georgia, I think, and in some areas around the country. And I spoke to him about what was available to help people from a financial standpoint who were just, you know, they were dead in the water with this, with, you know, no business coming in. Um, people, we've all talked and heard about them, bartenders, hairdressers, manicure folks, uh, massage therapists. And I asked him, and this is a few weeks ago, but at the time he said there was no one resource that had been organized to give money to give out to folks like that, but that what people were doing that was very good was to do it yourself. So, you know, I've got the phone numbers for my hairdresser, manicurist, the cashier at my favorite Chinese restaurant, massage therapist, my dog walker, and Venmoed them some money, which, um, you know, they're, they've got nothing. And I'm politically, this is nothing political, but uh, just the money coming from the government may not be soon enough, may not be no enough, I don't know. 
Um, the other thing is to reach out to anyone whom you know is alone. Because while I've got friends who are fine, they're living alone, they say, hell, I've lived alone a long time, I work from home, this is nothing new for me. There are others like me who would have been at particular risk. I'm not for that anymore because I have people around me, but there have to be people out there who are at risk. Also older people, as we all know, who are afraid and they're home alone, and they're afraid to go to the grocery store. There's been a lot of information, I think, about how to help people like that. Um, but I think giving to others is a great thing. Making masks, I mean, everything that's out there. I can't add anything new to that. But, um, you know, even when you're speaking to those folks, if you do call somebody who you know is alone, pay attention to what they're saying and watch for the red flags. And if you think there's a problem, you know, reach out, uh, reach out. If you have to call 911, call 911. There's no shame in that. Um, and the only other thing that I wanted to address is I'm saying all of this in the context of work. You know, we all, we're very lucky at my firm that we still have work to do. Um, if somebody is in, in crisis or getting to be in crisis about uh, during the current um coronavirus crisis, um, and you're not able to do your work up to your usual quality, or maybe not at all, tell somebody. There is no shame in that. I have always said over the years when I've talked about my own mental health struggles, that it's not to me a pass to just not do your work or, or not do good work. I did and was luckily able to do work up until pretty close to before I went in the hospital, when I went in the hospital. Um, but there's a point, there came a time when I couldn't, I couldn't see, I couldn't see the computer, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, um, and I, there just came a, a moment in time where I needed to walk in and say, I can't do this work, I am going in the hospital, um, you know, I'm sorry, and please take over. I realized that there are sole practitioners that we all know don't have that option, but I will say that my physical and mental health are non-negotiable. So if it comes to that, I would say just tell somebody, tell somebody, your, your physical and mental health are non-negotiable, and there is no shame in telling somebody that at this moment you can't do what you signed up to do. Um, so I just wanted to share that for people who might be struggling in ways that we don't always think about. I am accessible at, on my cell at 757-277-1525 should anyone need me or want to reach out. Um, you know, it's a little bit ironic. I have done another podcast in support of a book that I did about dating over 50. And my sign-off line was always, we're in this together. Um, well, boy, are we ever in this together. And uh, let's stay together and help each other. Everybody stay well.